This is episode number 313 with Parker Conrad of the Founder Podcast. What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human. Who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. Now. The Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet, you are in the right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Seth, Steve Case, Gary V, Sophia Amoroso, Robert Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast. The Founder Podcast. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Before we start today's episode, I just want to let you know that our goal at Founder is to help entrepreneurs succeed however we can by giving away high quality content in the form of interviews, blog posts, podcasts, YouTube videos, you name it. We put out so much content to help you. And another interesting project that we're working on right now is partnering with world-class founders like Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills like negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free trainings with founders like this, which is 100% free, just go to founder.com forward slash free. Okay, so now let's talk about today's episode. What's going on, Founder Fam? Hope you are doing well and your family and your friends are healthy and safe. And of course, you are as well. Uh, crazy time right now uh, at Founder. We're just doing everything we can to just really help you build and grow a successful business. And we have so much awesome content for you in store. So, Let's talk about our guest today. His name is Parker Conrad, very, very famous uh, founder. Uh, He started a company called Zenefits, and uh, I talked to him around kind of his most challenging chapter as an entrepreneur after failing in a startup and uh, why he chose to stay in that startup for seven years, Um, the pain point that inspired the idea for Zenefits. And now his new company, Rippling, around you know what he's doing there, how the pandemic has impacted Rippling and their existing customer base, why he's really focused on uh, burn and, and what he's doing to maintain runway as well uh, because uh, he's raised a lot of capital to grow this company. And uh, he also talks about the transition right now, which I think is interesting because a lot of people love working from home. Uh, Conrad actually hates it and he also shares some really unpopular advice for struggling founders which uh, I think is very contrarian but I like it so really cool interview lots to share Uh, if you guys are enjoying these interviews please do take the time to leave us a review all right guys that's it from me now let's jump into the show the first question I ask everyone that comes on is uh How'd you get your job? Man, there's a complicated history for that in my case. Um, so, you know, Rippling um, really sprung out of um, sort of some of um, at least the the ideas that, um, you know, I've been working on at my last company, Zenefits. Um, 
when I was at Zenefits, I, I realized that one of the things that worked really well for us when Zenefits was working, and sort of I think the key insight there was that in Zenefits, you could click this button to hire someone and people would show up automatically across all your different HR systems. And that was like mind blowing to people at the time because before that company came along, you know, all these different pieces, you know, payroll, HR, medical insurance, other benefits, those were all completely separate and disconnected systems. And tying them all together and having sort of one place to go for employee changes, hiring someone, terminating someone, really simplified life for the HR department. Rippling, the, the key dis- difference with Rippling, I sort of realized that for the same reason people wanted to be able to do that with an employee across HR systems, they really wanted to be able to do that for an employee across the entire company. And so with Zenefits, you click that button. I mean, with Rippling, you click that button to hire someone and you tell us, you know, their start date, their manager, their department, team level, what have you. And we're going to get them, you know, set up properly in payroll, enrolled in insurance, but we're also going to ship them a computer um, that'll come pre-installed and pre-configured with all the right software and all the right policies for their role. And um, we're going to set them up with all the right systems they need to do their job. So, you know, maybe if they're a sales rep, they get access to Salesforce. If they're an engineer, they get access to GitHub and AWS and a number of other things. They're going to be added to all the right email lists, all the right Slack channels. Uh, and all of this is tied to, you know, their role, what they do for the company that sort of determines how they need to be set up and where they need to be set up. And so the, the sort of big picture behind Rippling, the idea is that it's an employee system that's not just about HR. It's sort of the employee management broadly across the entire company and all, you know, sort of all the areas of the company that have this sort of touch point to employees and who your employees are and that sort of thing. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. Um, so look, I, yeah, look, I have some experience, um, you know, running a company out of the U S we, we set up an entity a while ago and, uh, it's definitely not the same as Australia. You guys are very, very, very complicated around <laughs> all sorts of different things. So, um, can we talk about like, was, was Zenefits your first company or did you start companies before that? Cause I know that that, that company like was an absolute rocket ship. Um, no, it wasn't. There was, there was a company I started before that, that I was at for, um, about seven years, six or seven years. And it was sort of six or seven years of kind of slow grinding failure, just barely staying alive, um, never succeeding, but not quite dying either, which, which would have probably been a mercy at the time. You know, I was always, um, I always thought we were kind of six months away from really figuring it out. We, we would sort of do something and we would launch it and it, it wouldn't really work, but it, it would work kind of just enough for us to think like, oh my gosh, like I know, I know exactly what we need. We just need to do this next thing. And that's the thing. That's the thing that's really going to get us there. Um, and so that, you know, kind of kept us going or kept, kept me going through this sort of succession of pivots where success was always kind of just around the corner. And, you know, I eventually, I think, um, you know, that struggle, it really, it really takes a toll on you. And I think it, it, um, it kind of grinds you down and it led to a falling out with my co-founder. Um, and I left the company 
you know, in, incredibly depressed about it, you know, thinking that I was leaving, you know, a company that was going to be, you know, I was convinced even then that it was going to be a huge multi-billion dollar outcome. And, you know, I'd never do anything as impactful as sort of what we were working on there. Um, and um, that wasn't true. I mean, you know, the, the company has, has done better than, than um, you know, than, than since I was there. And I've also gone on and, you know, had some other things that, that, that have been really exciting as well. But it felt like at the time, it felt like there was just never going to be another opportunity. And I think that's one of the hardest things for founders is sometimes um, when you uh, leave a company as a founder, um, often it feels like there's not, at least it felt this way to me, there was very little sort of career opportunity. It was kind of like I'd been at this thing for seven years, um, but I had like no specific skills that I, you know, like I wasn't really qualified to run, you know, a sales team or run a marketing organization or, you know, um, and I had this job that was sort of hard to describe, you know, as the founder of a company, because you're kind of doing a little bit of everything. And I'd been at this company that nobody had heard of for six or seven years and the jobs that I could get, you know, maybe, you know, there were sort of entry level roles that, you know, other people kind of right out of college would, would be applying for. And I sort of looked at it and that was, I realized, you know, man, like the only thing, the only thing I'm really qualified to do is to start another company. You know, I, I had had this pain point at my first, at my first company around, um, you know, just getting, um, I sort of, we didn't have any money and we didn't have anyone in HR. And so I had dealt with sort of enrolling employees in health insurance when they joined the company. And to do that, you could only do that uh, via fax machine because that was the only way to enroll people. And so we didn't oh, have wow. a fax machine because this was, you know, 2010, not, you know, 1982. And so, um, you know, every time, um, every time we hired someone, I would stop off at Kinko's to fax in their insurance application. And I sort of realized, gosh, there's, there's gotta be a better way to do this online. And that, that was sort of, you know, from there, the genesis of, of, you know, doing payroll and benefits all together online in one system. Yeah. Got you. So let's talk about like rippling everything that's happened in this current market, right? Like we are in lockdown with Chang right now. Yeah. Um, like how, how's everything going like for a SaaS company right now? Like have you, have you guys experienced a, a massive increase in churn? Like, like what, what is happening right now for you guys? Have you guys been affected? What we've seen is for the longest time at Rippling, um, we, um, every month we would close a bunch of new sales and we would also, our existing customer base would tend to grow and expand um, yeah. in part because they would, um, you know, maybe add more products in Rippling. But also a big part of it is that we tend to, we, we tended and we still tend to attract customers that know or that believe they are about to hire a lot of people. Um, because mm. part of the sort of thing about Rippling that's really interesting is the ability to sort of click this button to hire someone and they get set up everywhere all at once. And so we always had every month, our, our current customer base was expanding a lot and was worth, you know, because we charge per seat, is worth a lot more money than it was the month before. And actually March and April are the two months in which, um, since the company was founded, that we will actually have like contraction in our existing customer base instead of expansion. The biggest hit that we've had has been that, has been the shift from an expanding customer base to a contracting one. Um, that we hope will be sort of a very temporary situation and that that, um, you know, we'll, we'll be back to sort of seeing growth in the existing customer base in the next few months. 
we've been fortunate that at least the sort of top of funnel has not been sort of severely impacted. What I mean by that is the new customers coming in each month. Um, we had in March, you know, we were um, certainly down from where we planned to be, um, but we were still near a record in terms of the new sales that we brought in. And I think April will likely be the same as well. So generally what I tell people is I think we're like less screwed than most. Um, it's not, it's not fun. It's not a good situation. I would rather for many reasons, rather, um, you know, this whole thing not be going on, but, um, you know, we're, we're sort of less impacted than most because like our new customer flow has stayed, you know, pretty, um, pretty strong. Yeah, I see. And I guess you guys are in a fortunate position <clears throat> because, you know, uh, many businesses that are doing okay, like they have to use a product like yours that has very, very strong lock-in that you're not going to really switch, right? Like, that's right. Um, and I think that's a really good takeaway for people that are creating mm-hmm. products is creating a real painkiller that has strong lock-in that if you were to take that away, it would cause somebody serious pain. It's one of the things, you know, sometimes um, there are products that are, you know, vitamins and there are products that are, you know, things that people can't, can't do without. And, um, you know, stuff like payroll, like, look, if your business is going to exist, you're going to have a payroll system. And so you're going to, those are things that people, you know, they can't really cut them as a cost saving measure. And so, you know, there, there's still, you know, a real market for that. Um, even when, when times are tight. Yeah, I agree. So, um, Tell me around kind of like you guys have raised around 50 million. Is that correct? We've raised a little bit more than that, but, um, but I think that's what, what we've, what we've announced. Yep. Got you. And, um, are you guys like, uh, planning to do more fundraising or like, okay, what, what is the plans for the future? Well, look, plans, plans change very quickly. And, sometimes plans change like right now, like, you know, like every, every, like twice a week, given how quickly um, everything's changing on the ground. Um, Our our current plan is really not to raise money for the next year and a half to two years to sort of get through this sort of current, you know, period of economic um, contraction and hopefully, you know, fundraise at a time when things are growing again, knock on wood. Hopefully that's what happens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, then uh, what, what things are you guys doing in order to, even though there is kind of a, a contraction taking place and all these crazy things going on right <clears throat> now, what things are you guys doing strategically as a software company to ensure that you are still growing and ensure that you can kind of, you know, thrive during this time period? So there's a few things. One is like we're, um, we're extremely focused on burn. Um, we're trying to give ourselves, you know, three years of runway yeah. so that, you know, if you want to raise in two years, you know, you want to have some runway on the other side of that. So you're not raising on fumes. And so what that means that, you know, we're running, we're operating the business to a specific burn target yep. um, that gets us to, um, you know, to that level of runway. And so that means that from a headcount perspective, we're not growing headcount as much as we were planning to say three months ago. Yep. Um, we're still hiring though. I mean, the company, the company is going to be more people at the end of this year than, than it is today. Just not as many as we thought it was going to be say in January, because we want to sort of really focus on that burn. The other thing is um, we, we cut back a lot, you know, on our marketing budget. So our marketing budget, um, we cut that in really early March. We cut that in half 
and what what's what's incredible is I think really because like the people um, we have an incredible marketing team with some really brilliant people, and we are actually um, even though we cut the budget in half, we are setting record levels of demos today in comparison to where we were you know two months ago, even with half the budget now I think if if we had the full budget, we'd probably be doing even better than we are. But, you know, the sort of, there, there's that old adage that necessity is the mother of invention. And I think um, sort of, um, we saw like a really precipitous decline that, that, that was fairly temporary for about two or three weeks. I think when everyone was just trying to figure out like, oh my gosh, is the world coming to an end? And in that time, you know, all of the, all of the sort of things that we wanted to test and try, all of the sort of plans we had around things that we might do from a top of funnel demand perspective over the course of the year, we just like did all of them at once. It wasn't, it wasn't one silver bullet, but we fired every lead bullet in the gun at this problem. And through a lot of these different things at once, through lots of improvements, we're actually able to bring back after cutting the budget really dramatically, bring back the demos that we were scheduling to the level that they were at, you know, before the crisis and even a little bit beyond that. Yeah. Wow. So it's, it's interesting. Some of the things you think are working, maybe not as much, right? I, you know, I think they were working. I don't think it's that we cut things that weren't working. I think it's that what we did is we cut some things that, that were working. We obviously cut the things we were, we thought were working the least, but then we did sort of a lot of things all at once to sort of optimize and get more out of the, the things that were remaining that, that led to us being able to grow those things to the point that, you know, it's even the, the sum is greater than sort of what it was, you know, before we cut. Yeah, that makes sense. So what else are you guys doing? To get, to get through the, 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 the sort of economic, that's, that's probably the main thing. I mean, you know, it's managing burn. I mean, we're fortunate to have, you know, a lot of cash on hand so that, we have the resources for three years of runway if we're, we're careful with how we spend it. And, um, you, you know, and we're sort of refocusing on sort of how we can grow, you know, even with that more limited spend. Um, I, I'd say, I mean, the other thing, obviously, or one big thing that we're doing is we're really doubling down on a lot of product investment. Um, so our hope is that we can come out of this crisis sort of leaping past a lot of competitors in terms of sort of the products that we offer, the stuff that we do and sort of make, make a lot of progress while a lot of companies in our space might be sort of on pause or, you know, on the side of the road. Ah, so you've doubled down product. That's interesting. We're, 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 we're stepping on the gas on, you know, product engineering, you know, those kinds of initiatives. Got you. So when you say you're hiring, you're probably hiring up on product side, right? That's right. Yeah, got you. Yeah, that's really smart. So what about mindset? Like, what are you doing to stay level-headed? Because you don't want to be too pessimistic. You don't want to be too optimistic. You want to be able to have kind of an in-between bias, right? Yeah, I don't know. Do you have any tips on that? I'm not sure. I'm not sure I do. Um, I'm a freaking mess. I'm all over the place, you know. Uh, you know, you're up one day, down the next, probably down a lot more days than, than I'm up right now. Um, it's sort of like shocking and catastrophic to sort of watch what's going on. So, uh, yeah, I'm not sure I have any, I'm not sure I'm the person to turn to for advice on that. Yeah, no, that's fair enough. Um, like, like, are you strategically, 
like listening to anything, consuming anything? Like what, what are you doing there on like the consumption mm. of news? Like, um, you know, for books? me, pers- yeah. for me personally, you know, this really goes back to what I said about the last thing. I'm spending an enormous amount of time trying to sort of map out sort of new products and the sort of new directions that I think we're going to go as a company because largely, you know, and I, I told the company this, I said, look, you know, none of us can control right now what's going on in the world outside, you know, the course of this disease, the sort of awful stuff that's going on with the economy. You know, the only thing that I can control that I feel like I can do is I can say, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to sort of buckle down and really solve a lot of these problems that have just been out there for a while. Just, you know, spend the time to sort of just pump out things that I think will put this company in a place that when things do come back, um, will be in a place to sort of capture, you know, a lot of the market. Mm. And around kind of like culture and leadership for founders that have a team, you know, how, how do you lead during times like this? I think you've got to keep, um, I mean, I think motivation is really, is really hard. Um, you know, people have to, you know, I've seen what happens when people don't believe anymore. You know, people need, um, you need to, I think, both be willing to sort of acknowledge what's not working. You know, you don't, you don't want to pretend like everything's going great if it's not. But then I think you still, you still need to be able to paint the picture of where things are headed towards and, and what sort of, promising about the future because people get really deflated if they don't have that kind of meaning in their work and if they don't understand how the things that they're doing can really you know translate into something really important and that's where things get really bad is people just you know they stop trying you know they, mm-hmm. they're you know even if they don't leave they're kind of sitting around you know unfocused and you know not not getting stuff done yeah yeah no i, I know what you mean um so what about like remote and stuff like that? Did you guys um, have an easy transition because you're like running everything in the cloud or? No, I mean, I hate working from home personally. Um, so, I mean, I personally had probably the hardest transition of anyone because I'm used to just kind of popping in on people, you know, going around, you know, the office and seeing some people in a conference room and popping in and saying hello and, you know, swinging by someone's desk and bothering them while they're trying to get some work done. You know, I mean, that's, that's sort of like my whole like thing. And so suddenly with, you know, there's like, there's no way to do that. Um, You know, I felt like candidly, like a little, a little lost for a bit. And uh, you know, I've sort of started to figure out how to do that, you know, in Slack and in other ways and just sort of drop in on people. But um, you know, the company's doing okay remote, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that it's something where, you know, we were not a remote company before this, and it's, it's, it is not, it is not like converted me into sort of like someone who's like, Oh, the future is like, you know, everyone should be remote. I can't wait to get back into an office and have everyone together, you know, working and collaborating together in person. You know, I don't know if that's going to be two months from now or 12 months from now, but you know, I'm looking forward to it. You said that like, uh, you know, you're, you don't believe in the future of uh, kind of like work being fully remote or, or even a, you know, kind of a hybrid. Why, why is that? So I guess the snarky answer is like, have you had fun during the lockdown? Like, is that, cause it's been, it's definitely been a nightmare for, for me. And I mean, most people I think 
are like, oh my gosh, like, you know, I've got, you know, you can maybe hear my kids in the background. Um, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of distraction at home. Um, it's just easier to work with people face to face. I think that, you know, you can build relationships more easily that way. You know, I find, I think I'm more compelling in person. You know, if I'm trying to sort of, you know, pitch someone on why this particular project that they're working on, why we really need to get it done next mm-hmm. week, because the, you know, the company's sort of hanging on it. I can do that more effectively in person than I can, you know, over the phone or over Zoom or over Slack or something like that. So I think there, there's something that you lose when you go remote. And I think that, um, you know, look, this crisis is forcing companies to try and make remote work, you know, so you're getting the infrastructure in place. Everyone's using Zoom, everyone's sort of, you know, adopting the tools to sort of do this. But I think it's also sort of emphasizing, at least for me, it is really emphasizing the things that you lose when you're not together in person. And so I I tend to be in the camp that thinks that, you know, when this is all over, you know, restaurants are not dead. Everyone, everyone's going to want to go out to a restaurant, you know, like uh, movies are not dead. Like I can't wait to go to a movie theater. I haven't seen a movie in a theater in like three years, but like when this is over, I'm going to, I can't wait to do that (laughs) now that I'm not allowed to. And, you know, uh, I, and I think the same thing with working together in person, you know, I think everyone's going to really look forward to, you know, those kinds of in-person experiences, you know, being in just a room with a lot of other people like that's, I can't wait to have that. Yeah, no. Um, I think, yeah, look, depends on certain people, right? Like for me, I'm actually loving it. Um, I'm the most productive I've ever been. Uh, and, and I'm just working around the clock. I thought like, I don't have kids yet. Yeah. So like I'm, I'm doing okay. Uh, but I know certain people like it doesn't work for them. Um, but it's always you get lonely. You get, you know, it's hard. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I know what you mean. So, um, it's always interesting to hear that take. Cause I believe that nothing beats in person. Like you, you know, you, you can, you can have a fully remote team or you can have hybrid or whatever, but nothing beats in person. You know, if you do a, like a team strategy day, you want to do it in person, right? Like yeah. Most painful. Yeah. So um, talk to me kind of like around how you managing your team, like in your leadership team remotely, what does that look like? So it sounds like it hasn't been uh, like an easy transition. You know, I think there's a lot more, you know, you use, there's a lot more tooling, you know, you know, I was like a holdout on like really using Slack. I didn't use Slack. Now, you know, I'm all in on Slack, obviously, um, it's the only, it's sort of the only way to do this. Um, yeah, wow. you know, there's, there are many more sort of structured meetings, one-on-ones, things like that. You know, I, I sort of did much more sort of informal, um, communications and catch-ups and now things are a lot more structured and formalized. Yeah, I see. Um, and, uh, look, switching gears cause we have to work towards wrapping up. I'm curious, kind of like what advice would you give, to SaaS founders right now during this time period? I know you've shared what you guys are focusing on and everything that you're doing, but yeah, what kind of advice would you, would you, would you be able to give? So this is, this is super unpopular advice, but one thing I would say is for founders, you know, whose company is struggling, my advice would be to maybe consider giving up. And I kind of, I kind of, that's sort of one of the things I always wished in retrospect that someone had told me at my first company when things were not working, 
you know, that we, we would meet with sort of, we met with 70 different investors. No one would ever, everyone told us no. Um, we were constantly sort of weeks away from not being able to make payroll. And I think that um, I always kind of wish someone had sat down and said, you know, you guys are smart guys. There's a lot of other stuff that, that you could be doing. And there are many other things out there. And this company is never going to work. And I think most investors knew that, but we didn't. And um, you should consider like doing something else. And I don't know, I probably wouldn't have listened to them even, or I would not have received it well, you know, if they had said that, but it would have, I think, been better because I don't think there's, um, there's a misconception that people learn a lot from failure. I think that's largely not true. I think people learn a lot more from success than they do from failure. Mostly what you learn from failure is that failure really sucks and uh, it's destructive. Um, it takes a long time to recover from, you know, emotionally, psychologically, and in many other ways as well. And really, you never, ever, ever want it to happen again. You know, you can learn that lesson from failure pretty quickly. You don't need to keep relearning it over and over again. And so if things are not working for a company right now, things are now much, 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 much harder than they were even just two months ago. And they're going to continue to be challenging for a very long time. And so if things were really working well, you know, maybe you can get through this. But for people where things were not really working, now might be a good time to consider doing something else. You know, one of the differences I think now, um, between now and sort of when I was doing my first company is I think the opportunities for people who have that experience of starting a company are much broader than they used to be. I mean, we really try and hire founders at Rippling. Um, we have a bunch of founders that we have on staff. We have a lot of, you know, the surface area of our product is very large. And so we're able to really put, put people in charge of, you know, big sections of our product, of our company um, to sort of run an initiative. And we love finding founders um, who can take that on and do that. And so there are, you know, there are so many opportunities if you're a founder and you are struggling, there are, you know, opportunities at Rippling or elsewhere to come in and, and, and build something very meaningful. So yeah, so if things are not going well, maybe now's the right time to look for something else. Yeah, no, that's a very contrarian advice, but I, it's fascinating. I, you know, look, I get it. Like most people are going to say, I feel like I might get like beaten up for this because like most people say, stick to it, stick at it, stay, you know, like, and yeah, there, there, you know, there are always examples of companies that sort of eventually find a pivot where things just take off for them. And, you know, there are these just, you know, mythical Silicon Valley stories like Airbnb where, you know, that, that kind of eventually worked, but like most companies don't tend to pivot from failure to success. Like most successful companies are much more likely to start, sort of large, like largely right on the mark or very close to it in terms of where they end up. Yeah, no, look, that makes sense in many, in many ways. So when I think about it, like when you launch and you know, you've got a good product, it's so much easier to just sell a good product, right? Like that's yeah. everything, you know, but if you've launched and it's kind of not doing too well and it just, it, it just, it just, you can see the difference. Yeah. You know, one of the things like when people come to me, sometimes people come to me and, and um, that I know that are thinking about starting a company and they'll come to me and say, hey, like I'm thinking of starting a startup. What's your advice for me? And usually my, my advice is almost always like, oh my God, don't do it. It's like such a mistake. Like don't, don't, like if there's anything else that you can do, like don't do this. 
because it sucks so much. And, um, and I really, I really mean that. I felt like every company that I've started, I, I felt like I had really like no other good option. Um, I mean, I'm sure that's not really true, but it felt, you know, it really felt like, you know, that was very clearly like the right, the right path forward for me. You know, one thing I used to tell people is I was like, look, you will definitely, definitely be able to go out and raise, you know, two or $3 million in seed funding because, you know, you're, you're smart, you're, you know, maybe well-connected, you're an engineer, you know, whatever, you'll be able to, to raise money in this environment. Um, but that's not a reason that you should do it. It's a reason that you shouldn't because that, that, that money is a trap because it's going to give you the resources to go for a long time on this company, whether it's working or whether it's not. Mm-hmm. And that means, you know, and the, actually the, the, the most precious thing you have is your time that you're going to be spending on this enterprise that, you know, might not work. And so usually that's, you know, I think the, the downside of, of sort of a strong economic environment and a strong fundraising environment is actually perversely that you can end up doing what I did for a long time, which is staying in something that's not working and spending a lot of years there. Yeah. Interesting. So look, uh, we have to work towards wrapping up, but like uh, anything else that you would like to share uh, with anyone during this time, Uh, any questions that I didn't ask you that you want me to ask? No, that kind of covers it. Okay. Awesome. And where's the best place people can find out more about yourself and your work? Um, They can follow me on Twitter. Uh, Parker Conrad. Okay. Awesome. And go to Rippling, find out more about Rippling. Rippling.com. Check it out. Um, we have we have some great deals for companies that are starting out. So if you're thinking about setting up things like payroll or, um, you know, getting computers or laptops for your employees, things like that, you know, come come take a look. Awesome. Well, look, thanks so much for your time, Parker. We will we'll wrap there. Great. Thank you so much. Hey, guys. I hope you enjoyed this interview As you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content either start or grow their business, which is exactly why we're partnering with world-class founders such as Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills such as negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free exclusive trainings, please go to founder.com forward slash free. These are 100%. We go super in depth on teaching a particular topic, and I know that you're going to love them if you enjoy this podcast. So just go to founder.com forward slash free. All right, guys, I'll see you in the next episode.